0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And if you're a first timer, welcome to the party. Robert along with Stephen Kerr and together we give you 60 years in sports and news experience. Yeah, that's 60 as in 6-0. And oh wait, look who else dropped by. My partner for nearly six years on the show, RG Seal, who put up a piece on the Zach Granke deal on our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net. If you haven't checked it out, go to HoustonSportsTalk.net. It's right there near the top of the page. And, well, hey, guys, what can you say? It's a great time to be an Astros
1: fan. What a week! I'm telling you, uh, one of the things, you know, I tweeted after the game, you know, we had the big Zach Grinke trade, which, a uh, great article, by the way, RG, on that. Okay. Um, and, and just, you know, we, we just barely stopped kind of having our heads spin from that. And then Aaron Sanchez, Aaron Sanchez, a guy who hasn't won a game since late April, comes out and pitches, or at least contributes, a combined no hitter on Saturday night. And Robert, one of the things that I tweeted after the game was, uh, "What's Aaron Sanchez trying to do? Steal Zach Greinke's thunder?" <laughs> Which is perfectly fine with me, I'd say.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you just look what happened th- this weekend for the Astros. Uh, you have Yuli Guriel wins Player of the Week. Garrett Cole wins Pitcher of the Month. Jordan Alvarez, won Rookie of the Month, which, by the way, is the first time since 2006 that one team has swept all three categories. Friday, they hit six home runs. Their new Cy Young caliber pitcher looked on as their new backup catcher hits a home run. Saturday, the other other two pitchers, like you just said, that they traded for this week helped combine on a no-hitter. And, oh, by the way, they threw up nine more runs. They did all of this while 16 Astros legends got inducted into their initial Hall of Fame class, which means four Major League Baseball Hall of Famers were watching this, four Major League Baseball Hall of Famers. And Sunday, they finish off a sweep of the Mariners and they're neck and neck with the Yankees for the
2: best record in the American League, and they're neck and neck with the Dodgers for the best record in the Major Leagues, RG. And I think that's kind of what you have to look at here with the Astros after having made the Zach Greinke trade is that they all of a sudden vaulted themselves to be the favorites to win a championship in baseball and at least to win an AL pennant. Now, if you look kind of looking at the big picture again, scenario coming from that, it's getting Zach Greinke, you can slot him in with a Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander. So you have that big three start in pitching, but they also, as you guys have mentioned with Aaron Sanchez, here's a guy who's basically kind of cast off by Toronto, kind of an afterthought comes in combined. No, no in his first game as an Astro. And then you also have the bullpen depth. We've been talking about, there's been some difficulty with the bullpen of late. They've been really good. Most of the season, they had a few hiccups of late and they've been able to again, get replenished. Ryan Presley goes on the injured list. All of a sudden, you get Joe Biaginian that that kind of lengthens the bullpen. So all of these things are positioning the Astros to win a title. You have to give kudos to Jim Crane and Jeff Luno. They see it. They can they can feel it. There's a championship that's there in the offing. You know, the Astros won it in 2017. They came up short in 2018 to the Boston Red Sox. And so now they have a chance to go for it again. I mean, we know that postseason series, 5 seven game series. It give me kind of the, the luck of the bounce and the ball. and You know, you might run into some – I mean, look at the Detroit Tigers. When they had Justin Berliner, Max uh, Scherzer, and uh, David Price, they ended up losing, getting knocked out. So it doesn't automatically mean the Astros are going to the World Series. But I like the way that this team has a complete lineup. You really can't find a hole in the lineup right now. They have a, a complete pitching staff with the rotation. They can send out three studs in a playoff series – Uh, And Miley's uh, no afterthought there either. And then also in the bullpen, they have a deep bullpen and they can mix and match arms. And they have a bench, too. So, I mean, really, completely the Astros, that's why they, to me, they are the favorites right now. We don't know how things will play out, but they position themselves very well for October. Aaron Sanchez, I, I want to go back to him
0: because he showed me and everybody who watched Saturday night, this is guy with legit stuff. The curveball is no joke. He could be a huge arm out of the bullpen in the playoffs. I'll take his stuff over Devo, Harris, Rondon, maybe even McHugh at this point.
1: Yeah, I would have to say so. Uh, and and we've talked about this before on the show, Robert, how Brent Strom has worked with pitchers who have either struggled in the past or just you know haven't been great, maybe maybe mediocre, like a Charlie Morton, for instance. I guess is a a really good example. But Look, if if I'm Aaron Sanchez. And I'm three and fourteen and I've struggled and I'd like have the most losses in the major leagues. And I go to a team that has a chance to win a World Series, and if I know that pitchers like Justin Verlander, like Garrett Cole, like Wade Miley have bought the Brent Strom Kool-Aid, heck man, I, I I'd be knocking down his door, wanting a lot of as much of that Kool-Aid as I can get, and all the advice I could get. Of course, right now I know Brent Strom is recovering from a gastrointestinal condition. But, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be at his door every day saying, what else can you tell me? What else can you tell me? Because it's obvious, even just from that one performance on Saturday night, that he's got the stuff to do it.
0: And Greg, he's one of these guys, and Sanchez, both of them have shown already, because you hear from the players, you hear from everybody, that they're asking questions. They, they want to get better. They they want help, and and they're not afraid of it, which is perfect for the Astros. And, I mean, this team is like, it's like a kind of, uh, this avalanche that's coming at you, it just keeps growing and getting bigger. And, and, you know, they work off of each other. You know, we see, hey, we have all these great guys in the lineup. Well, now they're back to back to back to back. And, and one guy gets a hit and it becomes contagious. And one guy gets a home run, it becomes contagious. And when they score three runs like they did on Sunday, you're shocked. You're shocked.
1: Yeah, the the runs were kind of hard to come by on Sunday. But, you know, that's going to happen. And certainly in the in the postseason, you're going to have a lot of great pitching matchups where that may be more the norm than, say, the 8, 9, and 10 run innings. And, R.G., I want to get your opinion on this with with Aaron Sanchez. I mean, I, I'm not trying to burst anyone's bubble, but I'm just hoping that this isn't something like this. It, he doesn't come out, say, in the next start. And suddenly show the problems that he's had in the past. Sometimes when you pitch a no-hitter, it's almost like kind of a letdown. And the other issue I have with Sanchez, or I don't, it's, it's been an issue in the past, and hopefully it's not now, is he does seem to have blister problems and problems gripping the baseball. So that, that's something at least to keep an eye on in the future. But, man, after what we saw last night, he's definitely got the this, this stuff that good pitchers are made
2: of. Yeah, this was a guy in 2016 that was 7th in Cy Young voting. He had an excellent season that year. I mean, he was the Blue Jays' best pitcher obviously and they were building their future around him and all of a sudden a few years later he's traded to the Astros and again, an afterthought, but comes in very impressive like both that you've been talking about has the uh, the spin rate that the Astros look for on the curveball uh and, yeah, it's a, oftentimes, you know, we've seen this before, get a, a new lease on life, you know, a, a new situation for him to come to Houston to pitch with a contender. And remember, the Astros are looking at him as depth in the rotation. They have four solid starters right now. The top of the rotation, again, we just mentioned, possibly the best in baseball. And then you have somebody like Sanchez that you can have, and even when Brad Peacock gets back, you can shift him to the bullpen, as you mentioned, Or he can start, be the fifth starter. But what the main thing is going to be is, yeah, when it gets to the playoffs, you're going to have this ability to have Sanchez be that guy that can come in and pitch relief innings. And so, you know, you want to be able to to build him up to that point. And that's the thing with the Astros. Everything that they really – you know they still need to clinch the division taking nothing away from like the Oakland Athletics who continue to win they were a nuisance and a, a pesty team last year and they're they're that again this year but the Astros should win this division uh, pretty handily and you know they're really kind of positioning for the best record overall in the American League but over the last few weeks of the season they're going to make determinations who's going to be on that playoff roster and a lot of times with playoff baseball getting back to that again is you kind of get comfortable with a couple of guys who are hot you know, you need a couple of guys in your lineup to get hot. Last year was Alex Bregman. They started pitching around Alex Bregman, and then some of the other guys went cold and the Astros lineup wasn't as deep. You mentioned, Robbie, earlier today, too. You were saying about the lineup and just how, how deep this lineup is. I mean, you start off, if you all these guys are healthy, I mean, you have George Springer, then Jose Altuve, then Alex Bregman. You got Carlos Correa, you know, Yuli Gurriel, Jordan Alvarez. I mean, you really can't, like, pitch around the Astros as you could have the previous season when they had injuries and uh, guys out the lineup they're just a much deeper lineup this year. The other thing is just, you know, being able to get a couple of hot pitchers. If you get a guy like a Verlander who comes on like a house fire in the playoffs, that can that can carry over. Uh you we don't know who it'll be. Even when the Astros won the World Series, they had to look at their bullpen. Remember it was Brad Peacock and it was Lance McCullers and Charlie Morton that were coming out of the bullpen. So there's, it might be Aaron Sanchez this time, you know, they, Ryan Presley and, and Roberto Asuna, you're expecting them to be the guys that, you know, in there at the end of games, but now you have Joe Biagini, you have like Aaron Sanchez, maybe White Miley comes in in relief now. So, I mean, you have all these different kinds of options. So, uh, and I still, you know, there, you never know. I mean, there might be somebody, uh, I saw that they, the Astros called up Forrest Whitley to double a and, I mean, I know he's had his struggles this season, but if he could ever get things going where he gets on a streak in the minor leagues, I mean, there's there. I know that was Jeff Luno's plan originally to have him up at some point this season, so he could be a bullpen arm, but that's still a long way away, but you get my drift.
1: Yeah, he actually did pitch well, I, I saw on Sunday. He, uh, I believe he only gave up two runs over five innings, so he's certainly doing better than he had in the past. So.
0: Yeah, Stephen mentioned Aaron Sanchez's blister issues. Uh, there, there is a guy in the organization that dealt with some blister issues occasionally during the course of his career. Uh, might be able to help him out. you have any idea who I might be talking about?
1: Oh, I've drawn a blank on that. I should know it, too.
0: Uh, Nolan Ryan would occasionally. Yeah,
1: that's right. Nolan did. That's right. I'd forgotten about that.
0: Other thing that I thought was interesting that I heard on Sunday was uh, Jeff Jeff Luno said on the radio that Granky's deal, it almost didn't happen. The sticking point for a while was Josh Rojas. Luno didn't want to give up (laughs) Rojas, and that almost meant no Granky. Could you imagine if if that didn't happen and that got out, RG, uh, there would have been an insurrection? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it was. Uh, well, I mean, Josh Rojas, I, I, I'm not as I don't have the knowledge that Jeff Luno does about the prospects in the system It just might have been too much or it's kind of a, you know, mano mano standoff here towards the end and the Astros blink, but they got their guy. But, you know, I mean, that's definitely one of their uh, you know, better prospects. And I know he's come on of late. He'd been linked in some other deals. So teams are obviously taking notice of him. But I think it's kind of funny that you mentioned like Jeff Luno in the uh, trade deadline really reminded me of the the maybe you guys discussed this after the trade, but the Justin Verlander trade. And then, I mean, the Astros have had three of the most intriguing last second deals in history because Randy Johnson, remember Jerry Hunsicker back in the day, it was almost it was over 20 years ago now, 1998 trades for Randy Johnson from the Mariner. It literally came down they were calling the commissioner's office at you know night uh, at 11:59 uh, right before midnight because it was midnight back then I believe uh to to yeah, basically it make sure that this deal came through. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then uh, of course, we know with the August 31st uh, deadline, uh, with the the, the the with the waiver period with Justin Berlander came down the last seconds. They were going over to Justin Berlander's house and they were uh, trying to get everything together, and it literally came down the last seconds where the deal came together. And then go back into the archive a year ago and go find <laughs>
0: our interview with Ben Ryder who did the book Astro Ball because we get we get in that whole the it, it is a movie just on it to itself, the Verlander deal.
2: Right. Yeah, and so that's in, right. In this one with the Granky trade, it, it reminds me of kind of like a Hollywood ending when you're watching like a James Bond film and the Bond villain. And it's always a countdown with a bomb going, you know, it's supposed to go off. And then James Bond rushes in and saves a day. You know, that's kind of like what the Astros have done here at the the very last minute. You know, they've had this moment where they just come in. It's right when it's about to, you know, things are about to explode, you know, and uh, maybe they don't make the trade. Maybe they don't get the guy that they want. And this at the in the. Nick of time, they're able to get that. So hopefully, again, like with the Burlander trade in 2017, hopefully this spurs the Astros to the finish line. It definitely lifts the clubhouse when you make a trade like this. And you have to look at what happened with some of the other teams that were that are competing with the Astros. I mean, I know the Dodgers picked up a couple of players, but they were minor uh, I shouldn't say minor. They picked up a lefty reliever from the uh, Tampa Bay Rays and and Giorko, who can add depth up for the up for them on the bench. But you, you look at the Yankees; they were expecting to get a starter out of there. Brian Cashman was trying trying, and they didn't. And so, you know, you have to just look at you know what happens in those other clubhouses. The Astros, you you heard the responses from, uh, you know. Garrett Cole and Justin Berlander. Wow, we got Zach Granke. This is unbelievable. This is great. It lifts the clubhouse when they get somebody like that. So hopefully it can spur them across the finish line and win a second title in three years.
0: One thing that happened this week, sort of a little bit under the radar, but Miles Straw, you Miles Straw fans, I know were disappointed. He was demoted, but he'll be back no later than September, I would think. And I'd be shocked, just shocked, if he wasn't on the playoff roster when you don't need as many pitchers. You guys agree agree about that? I mean, that speed...
1: In the playoffs? Oh, absolutely. That that's going to be crucial. I mean, he was last year. Derek Fisher was the year before. I I don't see any reason why uh, Miles Straw wouldn't be on the playoff roster, even if it was just in that role when the postseason rolls around. What about you, RG? Yes,
2: yeah, Stephen, I I agree with you. Both of you guys on that one, definitely. I you know he does offer the speed. He's shown that he can hit at the major league level. He can come on pinch running, defense. But I mean, he's a situational, and we know that as you said earlier, Stephen. When games get tight, they will be in the playoffs. You'll have these 0-0 games. Well, maybe not in today's baseball, but 2-2 two two, uh, games or 3-2. Or, you know, where it's really tight, you need that guy on, on uh, who can come in, swipe a base, or, or be in scoring position for when you get that base hit and can, you know, maybe be the deciding run in the game. So, yeah. Uh, and, again, they switch up the rosters in the postseason, too, where – you know, in the in years past, the Astros have tended to have thirteen position players, twelve pitchers. I, I know that's kind of like what their roster construction has been this year too. But sometimes even fourteen and eleven, uh, because you use you know less pitchers, especially like in a in a five game series, you might be going to the same guys over and over again, and then uh, more pitchers for when you go to the seven game series. But I think that definitely that Miles uh, Straw will be somebody that they want to have on their
1: roster. Well, now think about this, guys. Th- this will be the first postseason with the quote-unquote juiced balls that are supposedly flying around this year out of ballpark. So I don't know. Maybe we'll have, you know, five, five games going into the ninth inning or something. <laughs> but it might be uh, a little over the top. But, hey, you
0: never know. Yeah, with the Yankees and the Twins, th- it's very possible in the American League for sure. And, and you know, I, I don't want to just blow by the rest of this weekend because, with the Astros, we talked about other stuff going on over the weekend. It was really cool to see the Hall of Famers out there, the Orange Jackets, the, the whole thing. One of the big highlights was also, if you're watching the broadcast, and I know, RG, you got uh, the Astros broadcast even out in L.A., You know, just hearing Mike Scott, Joe Morgan, Larry Durker telling stories in the TV booth. Uh, if you're listening to the radio, you, you might have heard them over there as well. And I'm not sure where you guys stand, but, you know, for me, Larry Durker, best radio broadcaster in Astros history. And that includes the play-by-play guys like Gene Elston, Milo, who or whoever else you, you want to include.
1: Well, I, he's certainly up there. You know, the question to ask maybe is not, what has Larry Durker done for the Astros? A better question might be, what has Larry Durker not done for the Astros? He was a pitcher. He was a broadcaster. He was a manager. I think he he was, maybe still is, kind of an ambassador to the team. I guess, well, he hasn't been general manager and he hasn't owned the team. But other than that, what has Larry Decker not done for the Astros? (laughs) I mean, it's certainly a deserving uh, to get in the first, the the original team hall of fame. He
0: also was a a restaurateur at the ballpark, too. Don't forget about that. That's right. That's right. He sure was. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Astro.
2: I mean, it was kind of a special ceremony. Another one that I I thought was interesting seeing Joe Morgan come back because you always identify Joe Morgan with the Cincinnati Reds and MVP over there and the big red machine. But you know, he got his start with the Houston Astros, and I mean, one of the greatest. Some many consider him to be the greatest second baseman of all time. And seeing a picture of him and. Uh, Craig Biggio, another Hall of Famer at second base. And, And then with Jose Altuve, potentially a future Hall of Famer at second base. To me, that was really cool. It's kind of the how many great second basemen have been with the Astros organization. And of course we know about the pitchers, like let's not forget like a a J.R. Richard, who's finally getting kind of his due from the Astros doesn't have his jersey retired, but definitely a hall of famer in the Astros. He was so dominant over the years that he was with the team. And of course, Nolan Ryan, what he's meant to the organization, like you guys mentioned, uh, you have Bagwell and Biggio, you know, you had all these players, Jimmy Wynn, the toy cannon and all these great Astros. And the, and the good thing too is, you know, it's, future Hall of Famers will be inducted in and get to wear that orange jacket. So, yeah, uh, you want to go st- at style around town, go find one of those orange jackets, right, to be like the, the Hall That's of Fame. That's right. That's right. And
1: what I really enjoyed was the Home Run Derby. I got to watch it on the Astros' uh, YouTube channel on Sunday. I watched it live. And, you know, they may not have been the killer bees, but you had Brian Bogusevic, who won the thing, Jeff Blum, and Brendan Backey. Could you guys – I had totally forgotten – that along with being one of the most clutch pitchers in Astros postseason history, Brandon Backey, he could hit. You know, the Astros were in the NL, so they had to bat for themselves, the pitchers did. Backey was a pretty good hitter. He didn't win the derby today, but you had those three guys with the B nays. And then, oh, yeah, Luke Scott, I guess he's the oddball because he doesn't have a B in his name. But <laughs> no, it was it was hey, kind of cool to watch the home run derby. Speaking of
2: hitters, guys, though, that's another thing that Zach Grinke brings to the team. He already has three home runs this season. He's a really good hitter. I mean, this guy's that's like, right. you know, that's something you can pinch hit with him. <laughs> and
0: he matches uh, Tyler White with the home runs for three this year. And Tyler White leading off for the Dodgers this weekend, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, just I had a couple thoughts on Hall of Fame weekend. Before I get to that discussion, though, I want to congratulate Astros team historian, Mike Acosta, guest on the show. He's done a tremendous job behind the scenes with all this. A few months ago, I spoke with him about the weekend and asked him about an actual Hall of Fame structure at Minute Maid Park, not just the ceremony, but there's a structure. And what happens after this weekend?
3: The goal is to have a full-fledged museum where people can walk in and Walk through an environment, walk, see what it's like to to have gone into the Astrodome, see the Astrodome scoreboard, maybe walk on AstroTurf, see all these great artifacts from from over the years, and even the, the years prior to the Colt 45s with the Houston Buffs, and, and just really tell an overall story of, of baseball in Houston. So that is the ultimate goal, where people can walk into a climate-controlled environment and see that that story before them and celebrated and learned from it. The master plan of Minute Maid Park is always pretty fluid. I mean, there's there's a direction for Minute Maid Park. Obviously, we extended the lease through the year 2050. Originally, it was through uh, 2029, and here we are in 2019. So that would that would only have been 10 more years in this ballpark. But now we're we're going to be here for a lot longer. So there's a, a Larger master plan for Minute, Minute Maid Park, and where a, a museum, a Hall of Fame fits into all that, there's there's many possibilities. We've actually taken a look at two or three different locations in and around the ballpark. So that that's all kind of still to come, and it and it's exciting, and it'll it'll be something that the fans can look forward to in, in the future. But for right now, we have a very good starting point with this. That
0: was Astro's team historian and authentication manager, Mike Acosta. And you can hear that entire interview in our archives. It's episode 274. And guys, I was just thinking who might be the obvious Hall of Fame inductees down the road. Acosta and I got into a little bit in our conversation, but the obvious names that come to mind, Lance Berkman, Roy Oswalt, Billy Wagner, Cesar Zidaneo, Bob Watson.
1: Anybody else that you guys can think of? Well, I'll tell you, I was a little surprised, and I'm sure he will get in in a future Hall of Fame ceremony, but I was somewhat surprised that Judge Roy Hoffines wasn't one of the original members. I mean, without this guy, the Astros probably wouldn't even have a team in Houston. Well, maybe, but might be further down the road. And it certainly would be further down the road that we would have an indoor stadium. He was such a pioneer, such a visionary. I thought for sure he'd be one of the original members. Now, then the question becomes, well, you know, who you, who do you take out of there? I'm not sure I would have put Gene Elston and Milo Hamilton in the same year. You know, maybe one of those could come out, come in the next year or the year after. But I'm sure Judge Roy Hoffines is going to be in there, if not next year, certainly, surely sometime soon.
0: Yeah, G- Judge Hoffines was somebody that I was thinking about, too. With the uh, contributors, I had the list of contributors, too, with uh, Jerry Hunsaker and you know, former Houston Sports Talk guests. Uh, we'll plug ourselves there. Bill Brown and, and Tal Smith, uh, as far as yep. contributors could be di- and down the road. Maybe, you know, throwing a wild card contributor because as a player and as a coach, uh, I don't know. What do you guys think of Scrap Iron? Phil Garner, maybe?
2: Yeah, I was oh, thinking absolutely. there. I mean, he managed the team to the first World Series. And I mean, that was a big, big push there. Like you mentioned with Wagner and Lance Berkman and Roy Oswald, that team. And you could also look back to the, the 1980s teams when, you know, the Astros were good, would somebody like a Bill Doran get in there or, you know, a Ken Caminiti, uh, a, uh, a a Glenn Davis, you know, those type of guys that maybe down the road. I mean, the more obvious ones you guys have already mentioned. What about Terry Poole? Terry Poole, there's another one. I mean, there are a lot of great players that have been, you know, throughout their tenure with the Astros and that, you know, that have made a mark on the organization. And then there are guys that have come here like – Like, look, Andy Pettit, he's going to go into the New York Yankees Hall of Fame. He certainly made a a contribution to the Astros when he was with the team and went to the the World Series with Andy Pettit. But is he somebody that you're going to put in there or Roger Clemens? Uh, I I was just going to
1: say, Roger Clemens, you know, there's a controversial one for you right there, not only because obviously he did contribute to the Astros in 2004, 2005. But, you know, with with the steroids thing that came about, all the controversy surrounding that, I mean, do you put? Roger Clemens in a team hall of fame.
2: That's a good question because like over in Cincinnati, you know, Pete Rose banned from baseball, but he's in the reds hall of fame and they had a ceremony right where he was, uh, able to come back there and not just, just, to be in the Reds Hall of Fame. So I don't know, somebody like Clemens with the controversy, but that's different because, you know, with all the steroids and the Mitchell report and what's happened since then. And But I mean, Roger Clemens is one of the greatest pitchers of all time, and he definitely left an indelible, even in a short period on the organization and just kind of how he mentored some of the pitchers that were there as well. So, I mean, that that's kind of but I I think that'd be something that would be more way down the road when you know, you know, time. Maybe he can heal some wounds there. I don't know. That's that's a that's a that's a tricky one. I think some of the more obvious ones that you guys have mentioned, you know, they'll be easier with these upcoming classes. And then down the road, you know, some of the guys like the more controversial figures potentially
0: figure controversial figures uh, since the Astros threw at Jake Marisnek's head. Uh, or since the angels threw at Jake Marisnik's head, the Astros are 14 and three. So, Brad Ausmus still doing good things to help the Astros win. Let's get him in the Hall of Fame.
1: <laughs> hey, why not? <laughs> just on that alone, you yeah. <laughs> know. I like that.
0: Well, uh, one of the guys that's just been, oh my God, he's entertaining. I don't know what, what you guys think, but, uh, The Joe Biagini experience, I I, I know we got all these good players in these deals and everything, but Joe Biagini as an interviewer, as a character, I mean, to to walk in and all of a sudden, you know, it it moves like an Alex Bregman down a peg and some of the other Astros characters down a peg. I mean, Biagini, hilarious. I know a lot of people might have heard what he said, uh, some of the stuff he said with the Astros this weekend, but uh, I just thought... For the hell of it, I'm gonna I'm gonna play for you guys some of my favorite things that I found from Joe Biagini from his Blue Jays years. Take a listen to some of this
2: stuff. (laughs) What is the coolest thing? Seriously, what is the coolest thing about being a major leaguer?
3: I would say the pants.
2: I remember getting to the season, they had like twelve pairs of pants for me and I was like, This is an embarrassment of riches, you know, and they all they're comfortable and they're long enough and they're you know, and I don't know. I think I look cute in them, so
3: yeah, I don't know, I think every team goes through that every year, but I think it's about how the teams come out of it. And I think this team stayed pretty close-knit together the whole year, not just because of our uh, crochet classes that we did together, but also just because they've been through it before. There's a lot of experience.
2: What do you do to keep your composure and your calm when you're in a situation like that? Um, I think about waterfalls sometimes, just very very calming. Rainforest sounds, that's I go to sleep to at night. The problem is, is when I try really hard to be me, I kind of screw it up, you know? Like, I don't know how to be myself. When people say, just be yourself, I'm just like, what is, what is me? What is I?
3: Aaron Sanchez. Aaron Sanchez. I would say very studly. He throws the uh, the balls a lot, and uh, to the catcher. A lot of times they get to the catcher.
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: I, uh, Joe is I, don't for about, you. I don't know about you guys, but I've decided I want to be a genie when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Or at least have his sense of, of humor. I don't know. It's something like that. He's already
0: inspired Bregman to bring a puppy to the, to the clubhouse after the game on Sunday. So, I mean, he's already, you know, and you know, part of a no hitter just by, Oh, by the way, Joe Biagini. Hello. Uh, welcome to the Astros. You can just, uh, throw a no hit inning for us in the middle of a no hitter.
1: Well, that was something I actually tweeted after the uh, no hitter was, I hope the Astros had some therapy puppies waiting for Joe Biagini when he got done pitching. (laughs) Did you guys
0: see what ex Astro pitcher Vince Velasquez
1: did a couple of days
0: ago? I did not. I did. Oh, this is good. What RG, uh, this could be the next Rick Akeel. He was out in left field, gunning runners out at the plate. Wow. Vince Velasquez, huh? Yeah, he threw a laser. And, uh, you know, his ERAs, it's been about four plus for, you know, his career and practically every year. You know, if everybody remembers, uh, this is somebody that the Astros were pretty high on, but he just hadn't put it together. But but maybe maybe he can uh, go back down to the minors and, and work on his bat. I, I looked at his numbers Nothing special. He's like in the 220s, but you know, for a National League guy 220s as a hitter that that's not too bad. Works on a little bit. He's got that gun in the outfield. He was pretty athletic guy, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, as far as I remember he was.
2: I still think, I mean, he's, you know, he's going to be uh, pitching with the Phillies. It's not so, it, just because a guy has a over 4 ERA in, you know, the National League doesn't mean you're automatically going to move him from the rotation, but I mean, it's good to know that he can He has that uh, harm for the outfield that he could play, you know, like you said, go down to the Meyer Lake and rework as a hitter. But uh, at this point, you know, not becoming a two-way player like Shohei Otani or I mean, but it was cool to watch, you know, where a guy comes in and just nails out a runner at the plate, you know, late field, late, late inning defense.
1: Well, I've always said about pitchers who throw hard I mean, it's one thing to throw hard, but you still have to have command of your pitches. So. That's something that a lot of them struggle with, and it sounds like that's— so I, I haven't watched Vince Velasquez a lot since he left the Astros occasionally. and saw a clip of him with the Phillies, but yeah, you know, you, you've you got to have the throw accurate from the outfield too, but you don't have to hit a small strike zone when you're trying to do that. Just make a good throw and have a good catcher to catch it.
0: Yeah, and that was an issue with him. It was a lot of control issues with the Astros. I, I forgot to check his his walk numbers over the last few years, but uh, yeah, you got to get that ERA— under four, if you want to stick around for at least a long stretch. And once that first, you know, that first uh, arbitration uh, level stuff co- comes to an end, then, you know, you get a free agent contract. You got to show something. But
2: but the other thing, too, is you have to look at with a, I mean, remember when the guys who have like Rick and Keel, he completely he got that what the Steve Boss syndrome where it was just like yeah. uh, he couldn't find the plate. I mean, basically, he decided to go back to the minor league and become a hitter because he basically couldn't find the strike zone anymore and was just, he wasn't ever he wasn't a, a reliable pitcher. I mean, he they, they couldn't even keep him on the roster. I mean, he would come in there and just was completely wild. Like, usually it's like somebody's just not cutting it at all. And like Vince Velasquez has been, you know, starting pitcher for the Phillies. I mean, he's had his ups and downs, but he's still a young pitcher early in his career. So let's not say, oh, automatically he's got to go become a, you know, position player now he's he's not been awful as a starter
0: well before I get to the Texans because unfortunately we, we got to get to the Texans I'm going to bring the show down it's like we start off with a, a nice uh high for everybody we're like in a Snoop Dogg video and then m- maybe some riddling or whatever to calm you down uh, a little bit uh with the Texans but uh guys I got to tell you who I saw in concert last night I- I'm gonna let you try to take a guess and, and here's your hint I got to see the most famous Oakland A's ball boy in history. Stop hammer time! Oh my God! It was hammer time last night, guys. Hammer time, huh? All right. How was the show? He still got it, man. He's the the dancing was there. Uh, he could still sing. Uh, he comes out and he's got you know a stage full of dancers and he looks. I mean, if you haven't seen Hammer, he he looks pretty much the same. He hasn't changed a whole lot thirty years later and. Uh, you know, it wasn't just him. Uh, it was a whole deal over th- in the Woodlands last night. Sir Mix-a-Lot, Dougie Fresh. I mean, biggest smile of my weekend was watching Dougie Fresh doing the Dougie up on stage. That, that was <laughs> that was funny. That was great. Uh, Kid and Play, Rob Bass tone loke was doing some funky cold medina up there wow
1: well that that's in, inspiration for the rest of us who are getting older that you know we can still bring it
0: <laughs> after all these years i guess yeah dougie still had the he still got the beatbox game uh tone loke could still go into that deep base and it was it was good it was good but uh yeah we'll, we'll go to Let's go to the Texans and a guy that's uh, not playing a really good beat right now. Deontay Foreman. The era ended on Sunday morning. Texans released their third-round pick from just two years ago. Uh, guys, there there might have been a real work ethic issue with Foreman, and maybe it wasn't as bad as the Texans made it out to be, but everybody knew that he was coming back from a major Achilles injury that ends careers. Uh, the thing that just drives me crazy, look, the idiocy by the Texans is not – Getting a running back in the draft that's not going to work, or, or just and, and not not getting one when when you, uh, you know, but it's even more importantly not getting one in free agency either. And at some point, this organization has to actually
1: invest in this position. Well, you know, Robert, I really wasn't that surprised when I saw the Texans wave for him. And I mean, when I was growing up, my grandmother once told me. The world doesn't get handed to you on a silver platter. you got to go work to get what you want. Now, injury aside, I mean, yeah, he was still trying to come back from that. But there were questions about his work issues even before that. And he just apparently isn't always willing to put in the hard work. He's, he's missing team meetings. I mean, this is the NFL, dude. You're not entitled to anything unless you're a first-round pick especially if you're coming off the injury he is. I'm
0: trying to figure this all out because, you know, OB's a guy, RG. I mean, he, we've seen it. He he doesn't like laziness. You know, he's big on working hard. And, do, you know, I mean, it's not, not different than most coaches. But, you know, he's a, he's not uh, just like a bum Phillips who just go out there and play on game day kind of guy. And you had him and Lewis Nix that were drafted when OB was there and you just kind of wonder, I mean, Rick Smith, we, we had our question marks about him. But, you know, was he a part of the process at all when Rick Smith was, was doing these drafts? Because, you know, you got Lewis Nixon, Deontay Foreman, third-round picks. They basically got the axe because they wouldn't put in the work. From what it sounds like.
2: Well, again, we don't know. That's uh, always a big mystery, enigma, just what the uh, te- Texans' hierarchy is like. Even right now, with uh, you know uh, Cal McNair. There's a uh, hierarchy. Taken for a yeah. <laughs> I mean, in like, oh, we're having a bunch of different GMs, but it's really kind of like uh, you know uh, Bill O'Brien there, kind of as the master puppet maker, probably. Right. Well, it's so,
1: GM by committee. I mean, you guys, I, I need to write down the list of all the names that we need to call if we right. need to do business with the Texans, because there's a different person for each thing. So I I hope you guys memorize that list by the end of the show, because there's going to be a quiz. And that, <laughs> that that begs the question, can the Texans win a Super Bowl with this kind of structure? I say no. Texans in Super Bowl. That makes me laugh just right there. Yeah. Just winning a Super Bowl. But do they really think that they're gonna win with this kind of structure? I, have, I, I, do. yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. You can't
2: have this kind of structure. You need to get a GM in there. Part of it's cause oh well it got rid of Brian Game, fired him, they're trying to get Nick Casario. he's a he apparently is can be let out of his contract next year. So let's see if he comes to the Texas organization and gets that that's who Bill O'Brien wants. But yeah, it doesn't look good right now. I mean, with the organization kind of splitting all the duties up, and really, it's Bill O'Brien with the stamp on the organization. Getting back to what you were saying about uh, Deontay Foreman and drafting him. I mean, again, who knows like how that went down? But we know. I was really. I mean, I watched Deontay Foreman at at Texas. I was a fan of his and, uh, you know, and then of course coming to the Texans, he had a really good rookie season until he had that injury. So, I mean, to me, it was, a it was a little bit of a surprise at the time. I mean, I, you know, not hearing all this about like missing meetings. And I remember last year, he was a little bit out of shape coming into to camp after the injury and all that. And, uh, but but still, I, I thought that well, this is a guy because because of what you said, Robbie, too, about addressing the team. Usually, you're going to be if you're if you're going to be doing something different at the running back position, you know, or you're going to potentially be letting somebody go, go get uh, reinforcements. Apparently, the Texans are. Yeah, a lot of people, are, a lot of fans are saying go out and get uh, Melvin Gordon from the Chargers. He's a steel main contract issue there. Go get a top-tier back. But, but Bill O'Brien says no, Lamar Miller's our starter. Again, it's kind of questionable to me because he's an older running back. We know they have lifespans in the league. I know he Played well last season, but is he going to hit a wall at some point? He's not like a great runner. He's not like it's Ezekiel Elliott back there or Saquon Barkley, you know, that's that you like, Okay, we got to just have this guy no matter what. And then you have like what other backup running backs are out there. Well, then you got to look at guys who are cut or guys that, you know, might have been undrafted that they have on the, uh, uh, you know, at camp right now, just things like that. This is a very important position because, you know, your your running game, that's always a big part of Bill O'Brien's whole game plan. So to me, it is it already is kind of starting off as as something to be worried about.
1: Well, I, I realize baseball is different from football in the in the way it's structured, in the way trades are made and acquisitions. But if the Astros and, and even the Rockets have demonstrated one thing, it's that they have a guy in the organization who knows the numbers, who knows the players that they need to get. And he has a staff behind him to help him do that. I'm sorry, Bill O'Brien, with a 42 and 38 record and only one postseason win, and that against a third-string quarterback. To me, he doesn't. He, he he's not entitled to be the coach, the general manager, and part owner of the team to say who goes where and who does what. You know, maybe Bill Belichick could get away with that, but even Bill Belichick, he has people advising him and telling him in, in, how to go in certain directions and. Yeah, he's he's proven it on the field. I just think that the coaches need to coach. Let the general manager be the general manager, and they work together. You have to be on the same page. Wait, let but,
2: the coaches coach. He's also somebody that, like, oh, I, I want to do the offensive play calling. I want to take over the offensive coordinator position. I mean, he wants well, to Well, that's to, right. The-
1: and he, he doesn't even – that's why I'm saying. I mean, he, he hasn't even proven that he's a great game manager and a winner. And as far as I'm concerned – As long as Bill O'Brien is the coach, the Texans aren't going to win a Super Bowl.
0: I'm going to get back to OB maybe in the Texans big, big picture, but you know, we're just, I'm going to move forward with what's been going on at training camp. And I'm going to talk about the Texans offensive line a little bit, and it might give you another chance to to bash OB here in a second, but it looks like this is what it is. Uh, I know a lot of Texans followers. uh, This is what the offensive line is going to look like. And it looks nothing like we thought it was going to look. So You start with Matt Khalil at left tackle. Uh, He's getting all the front line work. Same story with Titus Howard at left guard. Uh, Your first round pick that everybody thought was that that's their answer for left tackle. He's going to be playing at left guard. If we're going by what we've seen so far, I'm guessing Nick Martin is the center, but that may depend on his health, uh, which uh, again is in jeopardy with the Nick Martin. So uh, Greg Mance would be the replacement if he's healthy. Uh, the Texans should look to replace Martin because he's just a below average center in my mind. Last week, I might have goofed by just assuming Zach Fulton would be the starter at right guard. Second round pick, Max Sharping, could easily be in the mix there. And then Chantrell Henderson looks to be the right tackle, although, you know, that might end with game one, as it usually does with. Uh, Chantrell Henderson, but there, there's your offensive line. You guys have thoughts on that?
1: Well, I have to say it at least sounds a little better than what it has been on paper. Uh, I mean, I feel a little bit better with Matt Khalil at left tackle if, and, and this is really, you you could almost go down the list with some of these guys if they could just stay healthy. I mean, that's been one of the problems that Khalil has had. Plus he is getting a little up there in age. Yeah, I agree with you as far as Nick Martin being a below average center. I mean, think of all the snaps that he and the Sean Watson just haven't connected on and some other issues. And now he's got a hamstring problem, I, would, I, I guess. Uh, yeah. Matt Sharping, he, he's looked a lot better than he surprised me a little bit. And, um, uh, Sean, Henderson, again, you know, there's this, his health is in question. So it's not a whole lot to look forward to, but gosh, I mean, anything we've, we've got to get better than, than what it has been the last several years. Cause That's about as many years as we've been talking about
2: it. I mean, Deshaun Watson just hasn't had any protection. He's been running for his life back there. I mean, the Texans offensive line has been terrible. So, I mean, yeah. What kind of like – you're uh, pretty much the absolute worst. I mean, you can only go one direction, right? Just keep going up. Or I guess you could stay at the same level, which would be miserable to watch. But, uh, I mean, like you've just been saying with like Matt Khalil and and Titus Howard, hopefully you know, they'll like fortify the – the line there, the Texans can get some cohesion and, you know, get some uh, because they have to be able to protect their franchise quarterback. I mean, that's just tantamount. And again, like if you want to have a, a good running game, it comes with the offensive line. So, you know, that's the, the Texans have their to me, the, a big questions on this. Uh, with this season, are really a lot of them are on the offensive side of the ball. You know, just what the offensive line's going to do. Uh, can their receiver stay healthy? Or are they going to do it running back? I don't know if you guys agree on that or not.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's questions on the defense, So the cornerback situation also. But one of the guys in the offensive line we didn't even mention, last year's third-round pick Martinez Rankin, appears, you know, maybe to be even in jeopardy of not making the team.
1: I think he's on the outside looking in for sure.
0: Yeah. He's not, he's not, not going to start very likely and, you know, add Deontay Foreman and rank into the laundry list of Texans third round bus, the way it's looking. And you can, you know, just run the Texans O line and running back issues on a continuous loop. I mean, I just feel like I just say it over and over again. And it's just, it's not just bad personnel decisions with this. It, it's bad coaching. It's bad personnel usage, complete and total lack of forethought. Uh, you guys are Seinfeld fans, right? You guys know Seinfeld? Of course, yeah. Well, let me just quote Jerry and George in a conversation they had. And this is kind of what I think about. <laughs> I want to go up to Bill O'Brien and say this. Jerry uh, Jerry says, uh, if every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. And George says, <laughs> yes, I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the
1: opposite and I will do something. Oh! (sighs) (laughs) Well, do you guys want to have an over-under of how many times Bill O'Brien is going to stand up in a press conference during the offseason and say, after a loss, it's on me. You know, (laughs) it it starts with me. I got to coach the team better. You know, it's interesting. Players ready to play better. Yeah, you you have an over-under how many times he's going to do that for the season?
0: (laughs) Oh god, I don't even want to think about it. Uh, let, let me go to other Texans notes. M- move on to some stuff. Justin Reed, positive, is back uh, in the mix after a car accident that si- sidelined him uh, about a week ago or two, and and that's good news. From everything you hear, also undrafted rookie Tyron Johnson out of Oklahoma State will beat out Vincent Smith for the fifth wide receiver spot on the team. Uh, he's more, you know, he's a, he's more of a complete wideout, not just with the blazing speed, but with route running and hands and that magic buzzword versatility comes to mind with, with Tyron Johnson. So there's a couple of positive things. I mean, not that Vincent Smith's been bad. It's just Tyron Johnson has, has looked really good. And did you guys see Ed Reed taking a shot, shots fired at Charlie Casterly during the Hall of Fame game? <laughs> did you see that?
1: Yeah, I also, I also saw where he called uh, Brian Billick uh, Belichick. That was that was that was pretty funny
0: too. Yeah, well, I mean that that's more of like a, just a, you know, pronunciation mistake almost. They're they're close, but the 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 thing that just cracked me up was, you know, Michelle Tofoya points out Ed Reed's critics before he got drafted and Ed said, uh, quote, there were, were there're were a lot of people that got it wrong. Charlie Casterly got it wrong when I interviewed with Houston. It's it's funny that he's an analyst uh still, uh, but anyway. <laughs> that's what you uh, had to say about casterly and he also kind of made fun of his two months in 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 houston with the texans in his, in his speech and well
1: that doesn't surprise me really <laughs> yeah
0: and i'm you know for that i i kind of lost a lot with ed reed because i felt like he was when he was in houston he had some issues with with wade and nobody nobody usually has issues with wade i mean come on wade phillips how can you have issues with Wade Phillips? He's a player's coach. Yeah. Uh, one uh, one other thing, just a personal note, I, I just want to say real quick, uh, my my cousin, Kim Bormaster, uh, out at Texans practice, uh, she's a special Olympian, and Bill o- O'Brien had her break it down with the players at the end of the practice, the old uh, one, two, three, win type deal. So uh, really proud of my cousin. Uh, our grandfathers are, are brothers, so it's kind of a, I don't know what you would call that, third cousin or something like that. But,
1: oh, that's awesome.
0: That's awesome. Rockets, let's go to Carmelo because, uh, you know, he's still in our life. Uh, We get to still enjoy him. He was on first take this week, and I don't know what you guys saw in this one, but he was talking about getting cut out of the rotation and exiled by the Rockets. And he said, quote, I was surprised by it big time. It went from, oh, this is a piece we want. This is a piece we need. Uh, mind you, we've been talking for three years, four years. And by the way, I think that that might be tampering. I don't know but when he said that, but anyway, uh, he said, uh, they were trying to get me to come to the Rockets and I finally went there. I get there. I'm thinking everything is good. I'm doing everything I've got to do. Never miss a practice, did all my work. I was a real professional with everybody. I don't think there's one person there who can say I wasn't a professional. I did what I had to do. I did my work. Then the 10th game came. <laughs> it just cracks me up. The 10th game came, and I just didn't understand where, where that came from. I actually reached out to Daryl first, Daryl Morey, and said, can we talk about how we can make this better? What can we do to fix this? What can I do to fix this? But he already had uh, in his mind that he wanted to come to me about releasing me and letting me go. So I just didn't like how, how all that went down. And then uh, Carmelo goes on to say he didn't think Paul or Harden had anything to do with what happened, but – he kind of, he said, basically, he said it was deeper than basketball. So I, I don't know what he means by that. I, I I get the feeling, though, that he's trying to throw Daryl under the bus because he can't throw his buddies, Paul and Harden, under the bus. But look, dude, you, can't, you couldn't play defense. Uh, you know, that's the problem.
1: Well, and it also makes me wonder how much homework did the Rockets really do on Carmelo Anthony as far as you know, you're just going beyond what he does on offense or on defense. And and how many teams were clamoring to sign him after they released him? Yeah, that's a good point. But uh, the, he also threw uh, you
2: know the Oklahoma City uh, GM uh, Sam Presti under the bus too because he was uh, saying the same thing. He was like, "I got there and you know I was traded from the. I thought you know I was going to play with like Russell Westbrook and Paul George, maybe this great. You know, and all of a sudden, everything changed when I got there, and they you know. Uh, So, I mean, again, it was kind of a couple of situations where he threw kind of the general managers under the bus. And uh, I think it's more that he's just become a less effective player. I mean, he, you know, with the Rockets, he would have been coming off the bench, uh, which he said in Oklahoma City, they didn't tell him about. Basically, they traded for him. He thought he was going to be a starter. And then he went to the bench. That was why he was upset about the situation there. It was like, what? You know, I thought I was going to be part of this big three. And then uh, when he comes to Houston, uh, you remember he had gone to a couple of other teams released, you know, basically to make that whole situation work out to come to the Rockets. The Rockets had been wanting him for years. He is right about that because how many times we read the Rockets want to sign Carmelo Anthony, the Rockets are interested in Carmelo Anthony. I think Daryl Morey always felt like, well, this is a guy If you put him in the rocket system. He can hit three point shots. You know, he he just maybe needs to get out of New York. He can beat that. We know that Daryl Morey loves collecting stars, you know. So, I mean, uh, he was thinking, well, OK, maybe we can still get something out of Carmelo Anthony here. Even if he's on the decline as an NBA player, he gets over. He's just not, a, like you said, not adept defensively uh, defensively deficiency defensive wise. Uh, the Rockets, you know, just realize this guy wasn't going to be able to cut it when he's on the court. You know, and if you can't he's right, if you can't crack the top nine or ten and you're Carmelo Anthony, I mean, why do you want to have him on the team? So I still am looking at Carmelo Anthony in situation to me it's like, okay, when's he going to sign with the Lakers? There's going to be some point this year with LeBron and, I mean, the drama with uh, Anthony Davis, and you you know, you have all these guys that'll be over there to start the season, the Lakers. I mean, uh, I just see him, may, you know, coming over there to play alongside LeBron. And I've also thought that maybe too about Chris Paul eventually ended up in LA some way, somehow. So then they can get the uh, banana boat crew back together. But Um, that's where I just – I don't see many options for Carmelo Anthony out there. I know he still wants to play, but I don't know about you guys, but that's really the only situation that I see. Yeah, he sort of lives in
0: that Dwight Howard universe. I think he's in denial that his career is over with, and it's been about three or four years now. Uh, Nobody wants you. Nobody wants you, man. Nobody. But I'm saying
2: with the the Lakers, though, and maybe you guys can ask it too, if he goes there we have somebody anchoring the defense like – and Anthony Davis, who's down there, is a dominant post player. They play more of a half-court offense. You got Carmelo Anthony in there that come off call, come off the bench be a shooter. You know, he if he if he does have defensive lapses, well, then you got Anthony uh, Davis there. You've got some other guys that the Lakers can have defensively around the basket that can maybe make up for that. They they've been adding wing players like Danny Green. You know, they can come out and help on uh, uh, defense. You know, so I mean, uh, to me. And, you know, that that would be the one situation. Go play with your friend, a guy, be a part of the rotation. The Lakers, again, like adding talent. They like adding a collection of motley talent, as we've seen with Ray John Rondo and, you know, uh, De- DeMarcus Boogie Cousins, all these guys that they're putting on the roster around around LeBron. So if there is a situation that he is going to come to, and maybe that's a good question to ask your friend, uh, the the Lakers, the Lakers reporter is, uh, I could see it in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah. And he'd still be the 11th or 12th guy more than likely on a team like that.
0: Also, uh, another deal with the Rockets, uh, just, I, I don't know if this was this week or last week, but if it was last week, I forgot to mention it. You know, Austin Rivers, you know, he's got his own podcast and he, he defended Chris Paul. He said, well, you know, we've, we, I think you might've heard him defend Chris Paul maybe a month ago, but he really spelled it out in his podcast. He said, Hey, I've always respected playing with him despite what anybody else thought." He helped me to develop a lot. He went on to talk about, you know, what he learned from him about recovery, what to eat, how to see, study, and watch the game. He said, you know, Chris is an animal, and I'm sad to see him go. So, I mean, Austin Rivers, you know, this is somebody that just didn't play with Chris Paul a year or two with the Rockets. RG, you know, you're you're out there in LA. He was with the Clippers for a few years with Chris. I mean, he he knows Chris as well as anybody, and. You know, Austin Rivers, players, coach. I mean, nobody says anything bad about Austin Rivers. It it should mean something when Austin Rivers says, hey, uh, there is nothing wrong with Chris Paul. There's nothing wrong with the relationship with him and James Harden. That was not the case. You know, James had a guy he developed a relationship with in Russell Westbrook, and James is smart. He knew Russell's a better player at this point in his career than Chris Paul. I mean, you could, you might, some might argue with it. I don't, because, you know, attendance is part of you know,
2: being good, you know, uh, availability is your best ability, as they say. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. I mean, look, Russ, Russell Westbrook's 30. He's still in his prime. Uh, Chris Paul's, what, 34 going on 35. He's been injury prone over his career. He always will have miss a significant portion of the season with an injury. So, yeah, just looking at it from, I mean, being smart about it, you're getting the younger player, the better player right now, even though Chris Paul, you know, potentially the better fit just because of what he does, his game. And we both we know that James Harden and Russell Westbrook are both ball dominant players and they like the ball in their hand a lot of the time. So how is that going to work? But they, like you said, they did work together in Oklahoma City. Uh, They have a history together in Oklahoma City, the Olympic team. So they've they've, uh, been able to at least, you know, play with one another. So we'll see how this whole situation works out. But I don't know about you guys, but who do you think will be the one that uh, has the ball the majority of time, will they switch off with it? How would you do this with James Harden and, and Russell Westbrook preserve pros and cons of, you know, both of them being the primary bomb, uh, or excuse me, if you have like Russell Westbrook as a primary ball handler, at least you can look around to pass, uh, ha- have him pass it around to other shooters there. But if, if he's, if he's on the court with James, if James Harden's the primary ball handler, then you have a shooter and Ru- Russell Westbrook and then, uh, you know, Clint Capella down low, who could, you know, isn't a shooter, of course. So you have two guys who Yeah, really yeah no, hold
0: on. I'll, I'll jump in. I'll jump in. I know where okay. you're going with this. Uh, right. Yeah, it's I would have them take turns, and I think that's kind of what it's going to be because if you have them take turns, you take off sort of the, the wear and tear on their legs uh, as the season goes along by the playoffs. I mean, that to me is the biggest advantage of having Russell Westbrook late in games if you're asking me late in games that's a whole other story and it's who do you trust to be the decision maker late in games Uh, that is a a pretty darn good question I I personally would almost want Westbrook with the ball in his hands late in games because of the obvious because uh, it would spread the court better you'd have James Harden as a shooter as opposed to having Russell Westbrook as a shooter so late in games maybe give me Russell Westbrook for that reason and for that reason only, but I'll have them switch off, Stephen. That's that's my deal.
1: Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen, and I, I think I even saw a report right after the trade was made where they are going to split their time on the floor, but w- when they are on the floor at the same time, maybe about half the time, and it will allow them to kind of rest one or the other and keep their legs fresh, especially as you get toward the end of the season and the postseason. So I, I think, that's obviously what's going to have to happen if this thing is going to work, is they're both going to have to understand what the other is going to do, when they're going to do it, and and how much they're going to have the ball and who's going to move the ball when they are on the floor at the same time. But they, they seem to communicate well together. We'll just see what happens when they put it on the court. Together for the first time when the season starts.
2: And that's what's going to be interesting about this because these are two guys that they haven't won championships. They continually talk, turn on inside the NBA on TAT. It'll be a whole season long where Russell Westbrook hasn't won a championship and James Harden hasn't won a championship. I mean, these guys know that, you know, ultimately now they're, they've won their MVPs. They have the hardware. What we're going to be remembered by is how many rings on those fingers. So it's like now, you know, you have your chance. The Golden State Warriors went down. There's no overwhelming favorite in the NBA. Let's see what these two together can do to win a championship. And I i don't know if you guys noticed this, but Daryl Morey, interesting at the press conference, introdu- uh, introducing Russell Westbrook, said that, you know, I think we need to have these guys kind of rested to where they're peaking in in April. So does that mean that they're going to start doing the Greg Popovich, maybe rest these guys on certain back to backs and, you know, look at the schedule and see, okay you know, how can we best utilize these players so that they're fresh if you're not really thinking now, because neither one of these guys, if they're both, you know, playing with the Rockets this upcoming season, as we expect them to. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, playing a significant portion on the court there, uh, Probably, you know, they're going to take MVP votes away from one another. So it's not the whole thing about let's let's get this guy or the other guy the MVP. Again, it's about winning championships. So if that's taken out of the equation, you can look a little bit more of like, okay, where do we rest this guy? Maybe maybe Harden agrees more to, even though we know he loves to play every single game and and to do that in his minutes and getting. But maybe you know, thinking
1: big picture here, title. What do you guys think? Well, I think that's possible, but I think it goes back to what we were saying that. More often than not, you're going to see one of them on the court at a time, and only part of the time they'll be on the floor at the same time. I think that's how they're going to try to minimize their minutes. And, yeah, they, there may be some nights. A lot of it, of course, is going to depend on where the Rockets are or what kind of a start are they going to get off to. I mean, if they go right, under 500 or even around 500 in a conference like the West, they can't really afford to rest one of these guys in a night. Yeah, they, they've got to be right out about there. That.
2: Yeah, but but at, at the same time too, if they do get off to a good start, maybe this is maybe something, Robbie. But uh, this is why it's so critical that the they're basically bringing back their whole roster. Daryl Morey resigned the reserves, and they're basically bringing back their whole roster plus Russell Westbrook. Some of these other teams, like Kawhi Leonard and, uh, you know, uh, uh, OKC Paul George, uh, you know, they're they're new with these Clipper teammates. They've had to re. Shuffle the deck over there. Golden State's not going to have their complete team, of course. Clay Thompson starting the year on the shelf. Then you have the Lakers with Anthony Davis trying to mix all this new talent there. It's a real opportunity for the Rockets to get off to a good start if they can get off to a start where they maybe can get up there where they're you know top two seeds in the league and they have a comfortable distance between the teams. I mean, maybe you do on a night where it's a back-to-back and you're playing a, an awful team, you know, you decide to rest one of those guys as the season progresses. Because, again, like Kawhi Leonard, the, they won a championship last year with Toronto. Toronto had a really good record even when he was out of the lineup against certain teams. So, to me, it'll be matchup-wise. To, to, you have to look at long-term health and being ready for the playoffs, too. And, like, the Rockets did have to slug it out this past season in order to get the playoffs in order to get that. And yet, they ended up with the fourth seed even doing all of that, and they were not out in the second round so to me it's just being ready like what daryl morey said being ready in april so that you can play two months and win a championship in june
0: let me ask our listeners what do you guys think who do you want to play more on the ball westbrook harden uh who do you want to have with the ball at the end of the game let us know info at houston we gave you a lot of. A lot of content on this show. Uh, don't forget, RG's got his five burning questions about the Astros after the trade deadline on our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net. It's HoustonSportsTalk.net. Real easy to remember. And just uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for doing this.
1: It's been fun. Good to meet you, RG, and uh, do a show with you for
0: the yeah, first Yeah, thank you for letting me join you guys this week. All right. We will have the Texans post game show coming up. They're playing this Thursday, believe it or not. It's NFL season, it's Texan season, and me and Steven are kind of come at you with a post-game show uh, just in a few days.
3: You're listening to Houston Sports Talk.
0: Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody.